Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. On November 28, 2016, Alamia Airlines RJ-85 crashed while approaching Medellin, Colombia after a flight from Santa Cruz, Bolivia. 71 of the 77 people on board were killed, including most of the members of the Chapecoense soccer team from Brazil. Later that day, I had a conversation with CKTV Radio in Canada, where we discussed some of the issues around this event. News Talk 610 CKTV is live with Larry Fedorik. Incredible sad story about this Brazilian soccer team crashing in Colombia. A charter plane, 68 passengers, 9 crew, leaving Viro Viro Airport in Santa Cruz, crashed on approach to Jose Maria Cordova International Airport in Rio Negro. Uh, near the city of Medellin in Colombia in a mountainous rural area. And uh, speculation as to what happened, of course, what can we uh, discern so far? Our guest is founder of airsafe.com, aviation expert, Dr. Todd Curtis, joining us. Hello, Dr. Curtis. Oh, thanks for having me again. Thanks for coming on again. This uh, plane, first of all, let's talk about the airplane. Is this a fairly uh, commonly used airplane? It is commonly used. Uh, this is the RJ-85, which is a variation of the British Aerospace 146, an aircraft that's been uh, in use since it uh, over 20 years. And several hundred of the various models of the BAE 146 have been used around the world quite successfully. And uh, you've seen some of the pictures of the, the crash site. Can you take anything from that by just looking at the way perhaps the plane went down? Uh, not much can be discerned from the wreckage pattern except that the wreckage seems to be fairly compact within a couple of hundred meters, which uh, may indicate several things as far as how the aircraft impacted. But of course, that won't be resolved until the black boxes and other information from the flight is looked at by the authorities. Now, I wanted to ask you about that because the the picture I've seen most is uh, really a, a front, maybe third of the plane somewhat intact, and then the rest of it destroyed. And isn't the rear where the black boxes are? Well, it depends on the particular configuration of that aircraft, and I'll have to admit I'm not familiar with where the black boxes are put. But typically, they are not put in the front of the plane, but rather somewhere in the fuselage toward the middle or the rear of the aircraft. And, of course, this was a, a model that has been in use for some time, and it may have been moved from its original configuration. And, again, the Civil Aviation Authorities of Columbia will get to the bottom of uh, both the condition of the black boxes and where they were in the aircraft. But they are designed to survive, I mean, even um, even the crash. Oh, that's correct. That's correct. And, and again, depending on the model and the vintage of this particular uh, set of black boxes, it may be... Uh, very resilient to damage and fire. There was no post-crash fire in this case. And the information could be digitally contained within chips on the on the black box. Or if it's an older model black box, it may not have the information contained uh, in chips the way the modern ones are. Now, we have um, survivors, a few, in this particular um, instance. How is it even possible to survive this? Well, again, it speaks to the kind of crash that happened. Uh, one thing that is fairly clear from looking at the wreckage, there didn't seem to be any evidence of a post-crash fire. So certainly that leads to a, a greater possibility of survivors. Uh, you may recall over 20 years ago, there was an American Airlines 757, which uh, crashed near Cali, Colombia, and it also was a mountainous terrain. 
Also a very terrible crash, uh, aircraft very much broken up, and yet that one had four survivors as well. Interesting. Uh, it looks like it didn't nosedive, or, I mean, that's a real amateur assessment on my part. Well, again, given the wreckage pattern, about the only kind of of, of impact I could probably uh, write off is one where it basically noses into the ground at a very high angle with a very, very small uh, footprint on the ground. It didn't seem to be the case here. But again, uh, how the aircraft hit the side of this, uh, what looks like a, a large hill or small mountain, whether it came in while flying level, whether it was uh, in a stalled condition, whether there's a, under control or whether the aircraft was out of control, that will remain to be seen. And certainly... Uh, some of the survivors may give insights into that, and I believe one of those survivors was actually a journalist who, uh, if he remembers the sequence of events, may be uh, able to give very useful information to the authorities. And of course, the black boxes are the key to getting detailed uh, a detailed account of both where the aircraft was and the status of the aircraft systems. So black boxes would have uh, GPS kind of information, but they, they also would be voice recorders as well, right? That's correct. The standard configuration is you have one box, which is a cockpit voice recorder, which is designed to record conversations in the cockpit, both from the uh, pilot and first officer's microphones and from a general microphone in the cabin itself. And depending on the configuration of the aircraft, and the requirements at the time the aircraft was certified or manufactured. There could be other microphones as well. And the second black box is the one that's the flight data recorder. It's going to record a lot of information that is on board the aircraft, uh, engines, environmental control systems, hydraulic systems, and the like. There was one a survivor, at least I think that's where they got the information, who indicated that they ran out of fuel. The fact that there was no fire, would it speak to that at all? Not necessarily, because again, in order to have a fire, you have to have both fuel and an ignition source. And depending on the dynamics of the impact, there may have been one, but not the other. Or they could have had uh, both there, but the ignition source wasn't where the fuel was. Well, that's, that's the one thing I'd have to agree with. It is early uh, to figure out what went on. And certainly the reports that came out initially, uh, some of which such as the electrical problem, seems to be re the result of the crew calling down to air traffic control. Uh, that might absolutely be true, or it could be a situation where the crew did not have a very good situational awareness, may have been reporting a electrical problem, when in fact it's something else. Mountainous terrain and a little bit of a rescue effort there, but now do they have to go in there and take all these parts out and, and get them into a hangar somewhere and examine them forensically, each part? It depends on the nature of the crash. If the authorities can uh, narrow the potential culprits fairly quickly, they may only have to go after those parts of the aircraft that are relevant mm. to what they think is uh, involved in the sequence of events that led to the crash. And certainly it also speaks to the resources available for this kind of investigation. And quite frankly, outside of a handful of countries like Canada, the U.S., U.K., Britain, Germany, Japan, uh, very few countries would go to the extraordinary lengths that you may have seen for accidents or events such as MH370 or Flight 800 or Lockerbie, where parts of the aircraft will be gathered from all corners of the area where the aircraft went down, reconstructed in a hangar to get to the bottom of what, on, what went on. Um, Columbia may not have those resources. And more importantly, it may not be necessary given what they find out in the early part of the investigation.
Always interesting, Dr. Curtis. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again for having me. For more information on airline safety and security, please visit airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.